Okay, so if I see anyone shift, it's probably because you want to go to a place where you can't hear me. <laughs> I got kicked out of my seat. Um, okay, so we'll, I'll rip into the talk this morning. This morning I want to look at one of the most brilliant attitudes we get to enjoy as we live in the kingdom of God. And, and the kingdom of God attitude that I want to talk about this morning is one of incredible, unreasonably optimistic hope. So, and the definition that I want us to understand for hope this morning is it's the confident expectation of good coming. The confident expectation of good coming. So hope says... I might have a problem at present, but the solution is coming. It says, I might be sick or in pain, but, the, but I know that there is healing ahead for me. It says, so I failed today, Hope says, but that failure is just setting up me up for my success tomorrow. It's the confident expectation that good is coming. Someone might ask you, what is your future? And you might respond, I don't know, but it's going to be good. <laughs> yeah. Amen. You know, different kingdoms have different characteristics, ways that you can recognize that kingdom. And these different characteristics are what makes up a kingdom's culture. Uh, recently, I was down in, just out of Gore at Waimumu for the field days down there. We've, we've just started a branch in Invercargill, and, and our branch manager said, let's, let's put a stand in at the field day. So I was down there. We had a supplier there with us. He is a South African. He's been in New Zealand for seven years, and he was telling me a story that when he first shifted in New Zealand, it took two weeks before their kids would actually go outside and play. And that's because in the culture that they lived in, the first thing that you needed to do is send a dog out to check for things like snakes and that in the, in the, in the garden. And of course, they didn't have a dog, so they couldn't do that. And the second thing is the property that they had in South Africa was bordered with fences, with barbed wire all around it, and, and so that they couldn't have intruders come in. And they didn't have that in New Zealand. Different cultures, different characteristics. The kingdom of darkness has characteristics. Some of them include things like fear. Now, if you were here in January and you heard Denise and I do a talk on um, we're not slaves to fear, then you'll understand what I'm talking about. Fear is from the kingdom of darkness. If you didn't hear it, it's on the church website. Download it. You'll be blessed. <laughs> well, actually, you can download it and not listen to it, but you'll be blessed anyway. <laughs> So fear is, is a, a characteristic of the kingdom of darkness. So are things like shame and guilt and sickness. And when you see these characteristics or things or attitudes either in yourself, in someone, or in the community, you can be confident the kingdom of darkness has been given authority in some way for these attitudes to exist. But by the way, if, if you recognize any of these especially if it's in yourself, you don't have to be condemned. Because what you're seeing is an opportunity for the kingdom of God to overcome the kingdom of darkness. And friend, light overcomes darkness. 
And God's kingdom also has characteristics or attitudes that help us to recognize when God's kingdom is around. One we often talk about is, is that it is good. And you'll learn this in Firestarters when you sign up and do the course, like hopefully many of you will. And it was one of the sayings that we've got from there, which is God is good and he's in a good mood and he's doing good things. It's a characteristic of the kingdom. Another is the attitude or the culture of honour that exists in the kingdom of God. And honour means that we value and consistently demonstrate love and respect to other people. Another characteristic of the kingdom is is, is the value of generosity where we just have that confidence that you know, God is continually pouring in so that we can pour out and bless others. But for me, one of the underlying, the fundamental characteristics of the kingdom of God is what we want to look at this morning. And it is the characteristic of hope. The confident expectation of good coming. So let's have a look at a scripture this morning and and we're going to be focusing on one verse and it's Romans 15, 13. And there's just so much in this verse that I won't even give it justice in this one talk today. But let me read it for you. Now. I could spend ages on that one word. Now. This verse is relevant for us when? Okay. We'll leave it there. Okay. Now. May the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, This is an incredible verse. Firstly, it tells us something about God. Secondly, it tells us something about ourselves. And thirdly, it tells us something about our circumstances. And what it's telling us about God, ourselves, and and circumstances is that hope is the key. So let's look at these three things. First of all, let's look at God. God is a God or the God of hope. And that means that there is always a solution to any problem with God. Nothing you have to deal with is too big or too hopeless with God. Now you might have financial trouble. You might have health issues, mental or physical health issues. You might have relational problems, bad attitudes, bad habits, or something else. None of these are too big for God. One of the great verses in the Bible about there always being a solution comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. This verse says, no temptation. Now that word temptation in the Greek, when you actually dig down, you're often with Greek words, there are layers. And as you dig, dig down to the foundational word of that in the Greek, it actually means trial, testing, temptation, proving. So you, you could put in there, no temptation, no trial, no test. And in fact, the word that I like to use is there's no problem that you have encountered or seized, that has seized you, that you have encountered, that you're experiencing, except what is common to man. 
And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted or let you have a problem beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted or when you're experiencing problems, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. And this verse tells us firstly that whatever problems you or I are facing, God says, you can do this. You can go through this. You can handle this. God will never let us face a problem that we can't handle. God will never let you face a situation or circumstance that you won't be able to bear. And if you think you're going through something too, that is too tough, God says, together we can handle this. Secondly, it tells us that God can be trusted, that God is faithful. He will not let you go beyond what you can handle. God can be relied on. Thirdly, and really importantly, it tells us that there is always a solution to every problem. There is always a way through. Whatever you're going through, there is always hope. Now, have you ever actually faced a problem that you thought was hopeless? Either for yourself or with someone else? That naturally there didn't seem to be an answer, a problem that pushed you right to the brink. As most of you know, I'm in business with my brother. And a a number of years ago now, we got ourselves into uh, financial difficulty. Now, how we got there is not relevant for today. The fact is we were there. In fact, uh, it was quite serious. We owed more than we had any hope of ever being able to repay. And so that gets difficult. And especially if you're a director of a company, then you're actually liable for that from a legal sense. I've got a friend who, in business, I didn't know him uh, back when this happened, but he tells me the story about how in the global financial crisis, uh, they, him and his partner ended up owing millions to the bank, and the bank came to collect. And they ended up in this meeting where they go into a big room, there are strong lights pointing directly at them, They can see their bank manager, but they can also see in the silhouettes of about a dozen other people sitting behind their bank manager. They said it was fairly scary. And, you know, for for me, in that time with the, uh, being in that financially uh, really difficult situation, it was scary. I was scared that we could lose everything. I was was scared that, uh, you know, trust for my family could be lost. As... You know, being a leader in the church. You know, there's a lot of fear around that. We'll come back to that soon. First of all, let me ask you a question. Has God ever given anyone permission to say that a situation is hopeless? Has God ever given anyone permission to say that a situation is hopeless? Now, as far as I'm aware, there's no recorded case in Scripture or in history when God has said that, that he's given some permission to say the situation is hopeless. Why is that? Because God is the God of hope. There is always a solution. Let me suggest 
that the reason we think a situation is hopeless is because we're looking for natural answers to our problems. And we forget that God isn't natural. He is supernatural. Now, when we look at God's solutions to the problems in the Bible, I think you'd be hard-pressed to ever find where God gives a natural solution. Now, the nation of Israel, when they left Egypt, God led them into a place where there's no escape, and the, and the um, Egyptian army comes up to get them, and, and it looked like there was no solution. Yet God parts the waters. He provides a supernatural solution. You know, when, a, when a prophet's going to do something God doesn't want him to do, and rather than just stopping the prophet, he gets a donkey to talk to him. God uses supernatural solutions when the world needs saving. He called on a virgin to have a child. Supernatural solutions to natural problems. Now, in the story about our financial difficulty, the only solution that I could think of was a natural one, and that was for God to give me permission to buy a lotto ticket <laughs> and that we would win and be able to pay the debt back. And honestly, I spent a lot of time on my knees beside my bed asking for God to do that. And that's what pressure does. But God isn't into natural solutions. He isn't into supernatural solutions. And as I was there crying out to God, and I was reading the scripture at the same time, and I was reading in the book of Proverbs, and a verse just stuck out before me. It was like a torch was signing on. Just that verse that stood out um, as clear as anything to me, and I knew it was God speaking to me. And hope started to rise in my heart. And I knew that God had this. And, the, and uh, you know, people didn't come knocking on our door to close us down. And we, were, we got God thoughts around things that we could do as a company and we rebranded and we restructured and things changed. And today, the company's going well. You know, we have good positive equity. And we're growing. We just started a branch in Invercargill. It's going good. I received hope, and there was a solution. God is a God of hope, and whatever your problem is, bring it to God, and he will give you hope. The God that we know is the God of hope, and this verse tells us that. Secondly, it tells us something about ourselves. It says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing in what you believe. This verse tells us that the level of our hope indicates the level of our belief. Now there's four key words at the start of this verse. Hope, joy, peace and believing. The outward expression of hope is joy and peace. There's another favourite verse I have which just lines up with that thought. 
And that comes in the chapter 4, in Romans 14, 17. It says, For the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness occurs at the point of salvation when we're made right with God by grace through, through faith. And Don talked about that in communion. It was really, really cool. Peace and joy together make up two-thirds of the kingdom. Being in the kingdom is to have peace and joy. And what do we need to have peace and joy? We need hope. This is why hope is foundational. If you want to check how much hope you have, check how much peace and joy you're experiencing. Now, I need, need people to wake up and concentrate. This just gets a little bit... Got to juggle a few things, got to take a few thoughts into your, into your brain and, and just follow this with me for a second. So, so turn your brains on. When you're thinking about a situation, if you start getting agitated or distressed or sad or depressed, guess what? Your hope level in that situation is low. But remember, our level of joy and peace about a situation indicates our level of hope. And our hope comes from what we believe. The verse says, in our beliefs and believing that we're looking at. If we're believing a lie, then we don't have hope. And we recognize this by the lack of joy and peace. If we're believing a truth, then we do have hope. And you recognize this because of the joy and peace that you're experiencing. And here's a really cool bit. If you want to know if there is a lie in your belief system that needs to be dealt with and replaced with truth, check your joy and peace levels. Check your joy and peace indicator because this will show your level of hope and hope comes from believing truth. And we all have lies that need to be replaced with truth. We all need to keep renewing our mind, as it tells us in Romans 12, too, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind to replace lies with truth. Hope is a key driver for kingdom living. Yeah. Lies come from the enemy, and truth comes from the Holy Spirit. As we replace lies with truth, we build hope, and release peace and joy in our lives and in the lives around us. Yep. Everyone say no limits. No, no limits. Let's try that again. Everyone say no limits. No limits. It's a little better. We'll wake you up soon. We have a limitless God, which means there is no limit to what we can believe, which means that there is no limit to our hope, which means that there is no limit to the joy and peace we can experience. And when we say there are no limits, actually, we control the limits. We are more powerful than we think because we are in charge of what we believe. Recently, I've been carrying out a 40-day negativity fast and positivity feast for Lent. Um, sign up to this with a, a ministry that I really enjoy called Igniting Hope Ministries. And you get an email um, each day with, um, with a bit of teaching and it gives you something to, to uh, negative thing to, to deal with and positive thing to declare over your life. 
And as I actively go after working on my beliefs, I find that hope continues to increase in my heart. And one of the things that I've been doing is reviewing the specific promises I received from God over the years and declaring them into my future. You know, one of them is leadership. When I was 15, I was prophesied over um, that I would open doors that no one could close and close doors no one could open. And that spoke of leadership. And it's one of the reasons why I have been able to move into leadership and I continue to declare that over my life, that God has called me to be a leader and to develop leaders and, and it's part of who I am. Last year I was preaching in Wellington and the night before I was preaching as I was, I was praying and seeking God, I sensed God had given me a prophetic word for that church. And because of the nature of what God wanted me to say, I thought, God, did I just really eat something strange for tea? <laughs> is this really you? And so I went to sleep and I got up in the morning and, and uh, I try every morning to, to read the Bible on my phone and, and as I was reading there, I was reading in Jeremiah. And I read this in verse one to five, one, chapter 1, verse 5, and it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Isn't this a great verse about identity? Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So I thought, okay, God, I'll take that as a word from you. <laughs> and, and so I went to the church, and when, it, when I got up to speak, I said, look, this is a word that I believe that God has for you as a church, and I spoke it out. And when I'd finished speaking, the pastor of the church comes and gets up on stage. Now, when you're preaching... That means something either really good or really bad. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. And the pastor said, Church, what I need you to do, need you to know is that in our intercessors meeting this week, God spoke exactly the same word. This is a word for, from God for us as a church. So that was really encouraging for the church, but I'll tell you what, it was really encouraging for me too. <laughs> and, you know, John has said when they've been talking the last few weeks, they've talked about the picture of prophecy being something like a mountain range or, or, or a scenery thing, and, and it, there's a lot of different time perspectives in prophecy, and, and anything that you see written in the Bible prophetic, it has a meaning for the now, and it has a meaning for the future, and all sorts of applications. And whenever God speaks a specific word to you, it, it applies now, and it applies into your future. So when God said to me, I've called you to be a prophet to the nations, I said, God, I'll claim that. And I've been declaring that over my life for my future. Now, does that mean to say that I'm, I've been getting phone calls and going around and, and getting people to come and speak into their nation and prophesy over it? No. I have no idea what that would actually mean and how it plays out. But my circumstances do not determine my identity. What God says about me determines my identity. And Proverbs tells us that the power of life is in the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Now, what we say, if we start declaring truth over our lives, we get the opportunity to actually eat the fruit of what we're saying. 
You know, we're, we're speaking out possibilities into our future through that declaration. And as I start to declare that, as I start to believe what God says about me, hope rises again in my heart. So this verse that we're looking at this morning, it tells us something about God, that God is a God of hope. It tells something about ourselves, how, how we can experience hope through our belief system and experience joy and peace. Thirdly, it tells us something about our circumstances. That you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I love that word, abound. <laughs> Get a real spring in your step with it. And if you look at some of the synonyms for this word, it includes be plentiful, be abundant, be numerous, proliferate, thrive, flourish, abound. And as we grow in hope, it builds and it overflows and it flourishes and it thrives and it proliferates and it's abundant and it's plentiful and it influences the world around us. Hope is contagious. Hope influences our circumstances but isn't determined or controlled by our circumstances. And what is exciting is as we grow in hope, we get to impart hope into other people and into their circumstances. A few weeks ago, John spoke on Luke 4, 18, 19. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And as John said, these are kingdom-building verses, and I don't want to redo his talk, which you'll be very grateful for. But do you notice how much hope is built into these verses? If you are poor there is good news. If you are imprisoned, there is freedom that you can experience. If you are blind, you can have sight. If you are oppressed, you can experience release. And all your debts can be forgiven, which is the year of the Lord's favour, scripturally. The kingdom of God abounds with hope. And when we are filled with hope, we shift from being thermometers to thermostats. A thermometer tells you the temperature of an environment. A thermostat changes the temperature of the environment. You know, hope is more important in establishing God's kingdom than good character. Because hope is based out of right belief. And character is based out of right behaviour. And behaviour needs to follow belief. If it doesn't, if all we're doing is trying to behave because we think it's the right thing to do, it's doomed to fail. Yeah. Romans 5, 3-5 says, Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Beyond character is hope. As we said earlier, hope is a great indicator that we are fulfilling Romans 12.2 and that our minds are being renewed. The kingdom of God doesn't advance by good character, but by good belief. And the indicator of good belief is hope, and the indicator of hope is peace and joy. One of the big lies that Christians have, 
from the enemy is that we have to do more, we have to try harder, we have to pray more, we have to read the Bible more, we have to fast more, to see God do more. And when we get locked into that, it limits our future. And even though these, these things are important, don't stop doing them. They are still important when used correctly. What we need to do, church, is believe better. Not try harder, but believe better. And the indicator of better belief is the confident expectation that good is coming. In other words, hope. And if the band can start coming up, please. It is through hope that faith is activated, as it says in Hebrews. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. And faith is the action that brings change. But faith comes out of hope, and hope comes from belief. And we know we have hope because of the peace and joy. Now you can have hope for your family. You can have hope for your work. You can have hope for your school. You can have hope for your health. You can have hope for the country. Our hopelessness, our hopelessness about a problem is a bigger problem than the problem. If God doesn't say a situation is hopeless, then neither should we. We can change our belief, bring hope, have peace and joy, and then take the steps of faith to bring change. And in so doing, God's kingdom expands around us. Will you stand? So what do you feel hopeless about this morning? Do you need a hope injection? Are you willing to allow the Holy Spirit to actually help you identify the things that you are hopeless about and identify the lies and replace it with truth? The band's going to lead us in a song. And as they do, you just ask the Holy Spirit, what is it that you're wanting to say to me? What is it that I'm hopeless of, feeling hopeless about? What is the lie? What are you wanting to reveal in the truth? And you may be able to just deal with some stuff right there in your seats. Or you may want someone to pray with you. If you do, you're welcome to come down the front and, and we'll pray with you and we'll just allow God to speak hope into your life and experience his joy and peace. Let's worship.